pouring from the buildings now. There's cars toppled, buildings entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I, I really need to leave. So the fences inform me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. I'm doing well, Shag. How are you? I'm doing very, very well. <sighs> a lot better than one of our friends. Well, I shouldn't say that. He's actually probably doing amazingly well, but very, very tired. Yes, we have to announce. This is very exciting news. Uh, this happened, I guess, basically just 24 hours ago. Uh, we have the newest member of the Fine Water podcast family, and that is Reese Daly, son of Ryan Daly and Angela Daly. Congratulations, everybody. Woo! Unbelievable. So fantastic. Ryan's been talking about this pregnancy for months and months and months and months. And most people thought it was just fictional anyway, because really what girl would talk to him, but it's real folks. I've seen the photos. He is a beautiful baby. Ryan actually went to the effort of taking a photo of his newborn with a fire and water business card on him. <laughs> I love the fact that Ryan has those on him at all times. Like that's in, in, in the delivery room, no yeah. less. He's giving them out to the doctors. He's like, you know, he's boring them all about Black Canary's run and World's Finest. Exactly. Now, to be fair, this should, announcement should probably be made on one of Ryan's shows, but given the birth of the baby, I imagine you won't hear one of those for probably another eight, I, nine he's months. He's never going to do another show. So <laughs> he's, he's, he's a member of the network Emeritus, but he's never going to be back. So we just have to accept that. It took five years. My daughter was five years old by the time we started this network. So, yeah, yeah well, it'll be no, a while till we hear from him. We'll never see him again. Well, I'll, I'll take over the Star Wars show, and okay. you can do what, what show of his do you want to oh, do? Come on. Do do Fishnet, fishnets, oh, right up my alley. Fishnet show? Okay, I can take over for Batman, and may, oh, I might, you know, maybe we'll give that one to Siskoid, and then I can do It's Midnight. So, we, we, we got it all handled. Because Siskoid doesn't have enough to do already. Well, that's true. Well, we can, you know, we can give it to Zoom or Max. They're new. We can just give them stuff to do. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> well, folks, we are back for another episode. And Rob and I, we're feeling a bit fruity, so we decided, let's have some fun. We decided to do a couple more of our Whatever Happened To stories from the DC Comics Presents era of the 1980s. We love these stories. And sadly, there's not that many left. 
Yeah, we only have we have this episode, and we have one more after this, and then we are all done. Ah, uh, kind of breaks my heart. But we we chose to do it this way because these two these two issues are themed together very purposefully by the writer, uh, and then that leaves us with one story left, which won't fill a whole episode. So I think we'll do something fun. I don't know what. Yeah, we'll we we've got a couple things we're talking about, so we'll do something fun with that one story, and make it a full episode, and we'll sort of celebrate the whatever happened to stories in DC Comics Presents. Ah, so good. Oh, oh, and before I forget, because sometimes I do, because quite frankly, I'm not that bright, the Diet Mountain Dew starting to eat away at the brain cells. Uh, please, if you want more DC Comics Presents in your life, tune into the DC Comics Presents show. It's a podcast hosted by our buddy Russell Bragg, where he's going through all the DC Comics Presents issues. It's fun. Check it out. So, But before we get any further, we should take a moment to thank our sponsor. Folks, this episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collector editions, all for up to 42% off, with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, Rob? Well, since episode, this episode is so Sandman-heavy, I want to do something Sandman-y, and the closest I really got was really uh, Kingdom Come. By Mark Wade and Alec Cross. I mean, Sandman doesn't play a big part in it, but he is sort of the catalyst in the beginning of the story. I don't even have to tell everybody how awesome Kingdom Come is. It's a masterpiece. I love it. I read it every year, and it just holds up. In fact, it gets even sort of better in some ways as, as I get older. Uh, the uh, This is a new edition. It features uh, a bunch of other bonus features as well as the the main series, but it's in a just a uh, soft cover format. It's normally nineteen ninety nine. In stock, trades price is ten dollars and ninety nine cents. That's forty five percent off. It's got a great new cover featuring Superman, and then in the reflection, you see the other characters. It's it's again, it's one of the seminal works of DC Comics. So if you don't have Kingdom Come yet, pick it up. And if you do have it, give it as a gift to somebody because I think virtually, even though this this story is for diehard DC nerds i actually think it really works well for kind of newer readers because it hits on very eternal iconic themes so kingdom come ten dollars 99 cents can't beat it you're totally right about that that eternal themes i was thinking the same thing as you were saying absolutely and by the way if you want a fun companion piece to that check out michael bailey and uh the middletons professor alan quarterbin and his daughter m they did they teamed up and did a series of podcasts covering kingdom come that honestly were fascinating to listen to. Just a lot of great information, a lot of interesting analysis that made me sort of see the book in a new light. So it's worth checking out. Also, I was reflecting on our main characters, which is Sandman, the Golden Age Sandman and his sidekick, Sandy. So I thought, okay, maybe I should do some Sandman Mystery Theater, the stuff by Matt Wagner. That's out on InSock Trades. And then I thought, mm, maybe I should do something with Sandy the Golden Boy, like uh, the JSA series, written by James Robinson and Jeff Johns, where he grows up and becomes Sand. That might be fun. So what I settled on was something also by Mark Wade, which is Marvel's <laughs> Champions trade paperback, volume one. <laughs> Quite frankly, folks, this is what I'm enjoying right now. It's brand new. Uh, Mark Wade is the writer. Artist is uh, Humberto Ramos. So you, it, it's a teen book that Marvel's got on the stands right now, and it is an absolute freaking blast. I am loving this thing, guys. So, okay, Champions, Trade Paperback, Volume 1, Change World. And they basically, Marvel brought together a bunch of their teen characters. And quite frankly, I have never read anything with any of these characters. I don't know any of them. And yet... It's Mark Wade, who's an excellent writer, and so I'm able to figure out who all the characters are, get enough, that I'm just enjoying the heck out of the stories. It's uh, Miss Marvel, uh, Nova, Spider-Man, meaning Miles Morales. Uh, they get they're joined by um, Vision has a daughter apparently. Uh, the totally awesome Hulk and <laughs> Cyclops shows up, and it's again I didn't know the characters, but I am absolutely having a blast. You know, it reminds me of Peter David's uh, well, Young Justice by DC. I mean, it's that much fun. So definitely check it out. It's 196, 136 pages, full color. Normally retails for $15.99. You can get it for 45% off, so it's only $8 
and 79 cents and it's absolute hoot you will not regret it if you love teenage superheroes this is a blast Whew. all right so again for uh, these and all your trade paperback needs please visit instocktrades.com all right so here we go dc comics presents number 42 and uh, this is an interesting one because it is actually a follow-up to a comic book from nine years prior. Did you realize it was that far out? Uh, well, I mean, yeah. No, I didn't really think about it, but yeah, when you say it, yeah, it's like that was from it's because it's a it's a continuation from an old JLA story in the early '70s, so that would do it. Well, I had to look it up because I was thinking like, well, maybe this came out like a month later or something. Because no, I, no, yeah. well, obviously, yeah, I looked it up nine years prior. So, uh, DC Comics presents number forty-two is cover dated February nineteen eighty-two. Sorry, I had to get to the had to get to the page. So, uh, it is the the backup story is whatever happened to the Sandman, written by Mike W. Barr, penciled by Jose Delbo. I, you, have you heard of that guy before? <laughs> Let's not. Okay. <laughs> Ink by Joe Giella, colored by Tom Zucchio, lettered by Felix, uh, Philip Felix, and edited by Julie Schwartz. All right, so here's the gist, guys. Um, I, I went pretty detailed here. Considering it's only eight pages, I guess I could have really done a broad strokes, but I was feeling, you know, enjoying it. So the opening panel explains to us that the wealthy Wesley Dodds used to be a secret mystery man called the Sandman. But the Sandman mysteriously disappeared many years ago. And that's right, this is a guy who fights crime with a nighttime motif, and in his secret identity, he's like super rich, and he has uh, no actual superpowers. He has a lair, a sidekick, looks a heck of a lot like Bruce Wayne. Hmm, well, yeah, makes you think. Anyway, uh, our story opens uh, on a mansion. Wesley Dodds has just arrived upon the request of a visit by this beautiful woman named Miss Baxter. She's redheaded, by the way. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Baxter's father passed away some time ago, and her father was an acquaintance of Wesley Dodds. As Dodds enters the parlor, he finds the room is filled with men now holding him at gunpoint. One of them is, I love this name, Snooze Simpson. <laughs> He's a I know, isn't it awesome? He's a gangster who knows that Wesley Dodds used to be the Sandman, and he wants revenge against Dodds for arresting him in the past. Now, the, the weird thing is Dodds is completely confused. He has no idea what Snooze is talking about. Dodds has no memory of ever being the Sandman. So Snooze knocks out Dodds. There's a lot of sleep stuff going on here with Snooze and, you know, Sandman and the, the sand we're about to get to. Anyway, so he encases Wesley Dodds in this giant hourglass that is slowly <laughs> filling with sand. I love it. And it has How'd the they get it there. in the door? Well, right, and how did he even squeeze him in there? You know, I mean, it's glass. That had to be hinged, I guess. I don't know. Um, so he... <laughs> He's got what the, the sand is rising and eventually it's going to suffocate him, right? So, um, the, the gangsters are continuing to try and jog Dobbs' memory. They want him to remember he was Sandman. And Mrs. Baxter, the hot redhead, reveals how she uncovered Dodd's secret identity. Turns out that she is, uh, her, her father was this famous psychiatrist. And she had eavesdropped on a session her psychiatrist's father was having with Dodds. Uh, that's how she uncovered Dodd's dual identity. And this goes back to after the events of JLA number 113. Uh, Dodds was racked with guilt over the fate of his young ward, Sandy the Golden Boy. Sandy had actually been transformed into this silicoid monster. And um, they don't really get into these details, but I'm going to say them anyway, because I just reread the JLA issue in preparation for this. The Sandman did capture the silicoid monster, and he kept him unconscious for decades. <laughs> yes, I said decades while he worked on a cure. Then in JLA number 113, the, sil- the silicoid monster breaks free, only for Dodds to discover that he had kept Sandy imprisoned unnecessarily all those years. It's horrible. Uh, so Dodds simply couldn't deal with the grief anymore. 
And so to aid Dodds, the psychiatrist hypnotizes him to erase all his knowledge of his secret life as Sandman. So the psychiatrist does, does implant a code word in which will return all of Dodds' memory. But because of the circumstances, the daughter had actually run away before she could overhear what that code word was. Now, snap back to the, uh, the, the present. No matter how hard he tries, Snooze Simpson <laughs> is unable to jog Dodd's memory. He gets very frustrated. He, he leaves because, you know, that's what bad guys do. And he orders one of his goons to kill Dodds. And during the scuffle where he's trying to kill him, the goon actually says Sandy's name, which serves as the trigger word that restores Dodds' memory. He quickly punches his way free, becomes suddenly very confident, and dons the Sandman garb. He tracks down Snooze Simpson and his thugs. He captures them. And afterwards, Dodds, uh, Dodds pledges to find out. Whatever happened to Sandy the Golden Boy? Da da da! What'd you think of this one, buddy? <sighs> okay. Um, what? <laughs> I, I I think it's fine. Uh, I'm glad that Mike W. Barr picked up the completely insane Sandy the Golden Boy storyline because that whole storyline that that Len Wein crafted, that Wesley Dodds kept his partner like in stasis for decades and never bothered to tell any members of the JSA. That might have, you know, you only have two or three of the most powerful beings ever to walk the planet on the team. You don't think to maybe say, hey, you know, I'm having this problem with my youthful ward who's been turned into a monster. Hey, Dr. Fate, can you throw a brother a solid here and help me out? He doesn't do that. Instead, he just kept Sandy in stasis for decades and, and not realizing that Sandy was capable of verbalizing. Whatever. It's, it's insane. It's like Lynn Wee totally tapping a Bob Haney bot. <laughs> That's so, true. That's yeah, true. and so Mike Barr absolutely needed to to pick that up. This story, I, I think it probably would have worked better, and I, I don't like being this way because it's it's an old story and whatever. But I just think like it's really done in by the very plain artwork. Wow, um, I, I, you must yeah. have got a bad grade by Jose Delbo. I got a very bad grade by Jose Delbo, Hubert, <laughs> and I never forgot it because it was completely unfair. But, uh, <laughs> but no, I just think this is kind of like almost like coloring book. Artwork. It's not helped by Joe Giella, who t tended to make everything very simple. And I think Sandman, the original Sandman, uh, has one of the greatest superhero costumes ever. It's so simple. As of course, as we've seen it done in Sandman Mystery Theater, it can look super cool. I, I love the gas mask look and the, the fedora and the trench coat. And I think Sandman, if it's a Sandman story, to me, it cries out to be drawn in a very mysterious manner, and especially the story has you know it's it's just gangsters and stuff and so i really wish it had been drawn by someone who just gave it much more of a gritty look and i i just it kind of kept me from getting that into it because to me just visually it's just so kind of bland interesting see i i'm on the other side of the fence i really like this i like the art uh, i didn't use the word coloring book but i used crisp I mean, the, the lines are very clear. The faces are very, you know, uh, appear really clearly. That Everything's nice. It's very well done. I like the faces. I like the figure work. Um, so I'm actually pleased with it. I, I liked it quite a bit. And I like that it's sort of subdued because it is gangsters. In fact, the, I have a contrasting note when we get to the next story, um, by the way. Okay. Uh, but I enjoy the, the, the more muted tones of this. And I think he did a good job with Sandman's costume. Now, would it have been awesome and more mysterious and sort of Batman-esque if they'd gone for the Dark Knight detective kind of style? Sure. But it's 1983, and he's a JSA-colored hero where they didn't – we're probably thinking of him in that way. So I, I give him a pass there. Uh, from a story perspective, I you know oh I forgot to mention Mrs. Baxter. I, did I say it? she's she's totally hot? But anyway, um, I can say I do like the detail. As I just even though I just ragged on the art, I do like the detail on page three where we see the flashback, 
mm-hmm. and we see her younger and she has a different hairstyle. Yep. That's a tiny detail, but I, I it's important because a lot of artists probably wouldn't bother to do that. I mean, it did, you know, because, of course, someone who's not going to have the same hairstyle 10 years later. So right. I like that. That's a that's a that's an artistic flourish that I a lot of other people I think would miss. So I but I like that, you know, like, oh, it's the same woman. But of course, she looks a little different. So I think that was a and nice. she. And she looks a bit like a teenager in the previous right. one, whereas yeah. here, you know, in modern day, she looks like a sophisticated lady, even right. though she's like horribly evil and stuff. But um, so I love the hourglass trap, and we were joking about it earlier, but that's just like so classic supervillain. I love it. Uh, now, you mentioned the whole crazy Lin Wein thing where he kept uh, Sandy trapped for decades, and I mentioned it too. That actually isn't referenced in the story. What is on the page that Mark W. Mark w. Bar conveys? Is Sandman's tr- or Wesley is trying to forget his guilt for turning Sandy into a monster? Right. They don't address the fact, the crazy fact that he was kept in prison for decades. Yeah. So I think he's trying to sweep that piece under the rug, which is probably for the best. I like the montage. Oh, I guess this is going back to the. I guess my notes are all over the place. I like the montage of uh, where they're badgering him, trying to get his memories back. They're like snapping. They've got the Sandman costume on there, out there, and she's all like, I don't know, sort of loving on the Sandman costume, and he's kind of megaphone. You are the Sandman. You are the Sandman. You know, sort of like a J. Jonah Jameson style. I just, I love that. And then I thought it was very well done from artistically and writing wise when his confidence reemerges when he gets his memory back. I mean, he is suddenly Johnny on the spot. He is the man. He's he's kind of Batman, you know. Oh so. yeah, no, I dig it. I, no, I, you know what? Again, I, 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 I am finding things to compliment over the artwork. I liked on page five, the bottom panels where the guy is shoving Wesley's head under the sand. Like yeah. that—that's well staged. I like that we're getting, like in the first panel, we're a certain distance away, and the second panel, we're a little closer, and the third panel, we're a little closer still. I think that's that's a nice that's nice storytelling. Yep. And I like page uh, seven where we have the six panels of the same man just kicking ass. That looks great. Like part of it is because I love the same man. Again, I love the same man costume. So there yeah. is some stuff I like about it. I don't mean to be too negative about it. And I did like the detail of what's her name hugging a snooze uh, guy around his arm. And like she just like why is she, it's weird. Like I like that in the background. We just see Wesley nip. nip waist deep in the sand as he's got to watch these enemies kind of canoodle outside the glass. Like, this is like awkward. <laughs> it just looked weird. Oh man. Oh, to be a gangster. Uh, oh, I see what you're talking on page four, which is all, <laughs> she's all up on. Him. Oh, God. She's hugging him and he's like, too yeah. bad doll. It would have made things easier for me. And just, you're just looking at Wesley watching the two of them as he's slowly dying. Like that's just a funny little, it's like awkward. You know? right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, two last comments. One is you mentioned the same in costume. I love the golden age same in costume myself. And I like it better this way, honestly, than the same in mystery theater style, even though that one's cool too. It really is. I used to hang a, I used to have a poster of same in mystery theater on my wall for years. I loved it so much, but this, this version where he's slim and he's he got the multicolors, I just absolutely love it. And back when DC Direct, I don't know if you remember the action figure line, DC Direct, when they yeah. first started in the late 90s, they did a Sam Amistry Theater action uh, figure. Yeah, I had it, yeah. I absolutely bought it. And then they did a variant, a, a repaint with a different mask of the, the gaudy color, this classic sort of Sam Man costume. I bought that one as well. And I have kept that one proudly on display all of these years. Uh, the only reason it's not up right now is because I've got everything packed. We're moving, and by the way, by the time this podcast is released, I will have moved to the new place. Uh, but it, it's been on display all these years with my JSA collection because I just love that costume so much. Can I say I find it curious that there aren't more people cosplaying as Sandman? You think it would be a very easy costume? Well, it's not, actually. Uh, it's a little harder to find a gas ma- a cool-looking gas mask than you would think. Um, but I have at Dragon Con over the years, I've seen quite a few Sandman. Uh, 
Really? Uh, even even this multicolored, sort of gaudy colored one. And uh, you know, the the I think I've told you before the cosplay I I've always wanted to do is the classic Doctor Midnight, actually. Uh, but a Sandman would be just as good because I could I might be able to fill that out a little bit better the the mystery theater version at least. <laughs> It's all that diet Mountain Dew. Right. Well, hey, it's diet. Uh, last <laughs> yeah, <aside>. yeah. <laughs> it's practically so the, food. So I said two things. One was the costume and the action figure. The other is I do like the setup where he says, I will find out whatever happened to Sandy, the golden boy. So that's a nice setup for the next one. Yes. It, it's strange that uh, there is such a huge gap then between these two stories. I mean – they skipped a couple here, uh, here and there, and during the whatever happened segment. But this, the jump between this issue and the Sandy one is five months, which is the longest gap between any of the whatever happened to's. And it's sort of strange that at the one time that they actually do kind of a part one and a part two is when they give the biggest gap between them. Isn't that strange? Yeah. It's very strange. I think I had that in my notes as well. Weird. Okay. All right. I guess we'll move right on to that one. Okay. That was see. I was giving you a segue. So I, what, what, I, I, great job I, picking up on it. All right, thank you. It's almost like we've been doing this for you know six years. <laughs> almost. Uh, yeah. Well, hey. Okay. Next month's our six month anniversary. I was, six year anniversary. I was really relying on the network to to immolate during the Heroes Con, and that didn't happen. And so now I'm kind of stuck. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You know what that means? We're gonna have to do episode 200 then. <laughs> That's right. Because we're gonna have to do it. I was kidding. Anyway, okay. No, hold on. We got to talk about episode 200. All right. Well, let's. We were gonna save it for the end. All right. Let's well, do it. Well, then we'll now. save it for save it for the end. God, what's your problem? Jeez, let's get moving here. You're always taking us off track. <laughs> <laughs> Hate you so much. Okay, so uh, we're going to move on to issue number number forty seven. Uh, DC Comics presents number forty seven, which is whatever happened to Sandy, the Golden Boy, uh, again by Mike W. Barr, Jose Delbo. Uh, the, <laughs> Get the, over it. The anchor is John Kalman this time. The letterer is Janice Chang, colorist Tom Zioko, and the editor is of course Julia Schwartz. So. Uh, at a construction site early in the morning, a security guard keeps an eye out on the proceedings. Suddenly, out of the mist comes the Sandman. Before the guard can react, the Sandman gasses him, knocking him out. Alone, the Sandman flashes back to when he was with his young partner, Sandy the Golden Boy, testing out a new weapon, an experimental silicoid gun. An explosion transforms Sandy into a giant silicoid monster, because that happens. Sick with guilt and self-loathing, the Sandman had been hypnotized and forgetting his past to ease his suffering. His memory had only recently been regained thanks to the revenge scheme of the criminal Snoo Simpson. <laughs> Never get tired Yay! of saying that name. After an adventure with the JLA and the JSA, Sandy had been left at the York City Hospital in hopes of finding a cure for his condition. A month earlier, the hospital was destroyed by an earthquake where all the patients died. The Sandman, though, refuses to believe that Sandy is gone and resumes his search for the boy. In truth, Sandman is correct. Sandy, still a silicoid giant, is held prisoner by the Shatterer. This guy's a clown. Where's this DC direct figure? The true culprit, <laughs> the true culprit behind the hospital's destruction. The Shatterer attempts to extort money from the York City leaders by threatening to destroy a museum. When they refuse to pay, the Shatterer manipulates Sandy's connection with the Earth to generate a very localized earthquake, destroying it. The Sandman tra- tra- traces excuse me, the seismic disturbance to the Shatterer's lair. After a brief battle, the Sandman bests 
the villain. Since it was an explosion of silicoids that transformed Sandy into a monster, the Sandman sets off an explosion of carbon, the results of which transforms Sandy back into a human being. The Shatterer, re- I know, the Shatterer recovers and gets the drop on the two heroes. Luckily, some vestige of Sandy's silicoid power remains, and it suddenly wells out of him, opening a crevasse underneath the Shatterer. The, sh- the villain falls through the ground, killing him when the fissure reseals. His partner cured at last. Sandy and Sandman and Sandy, the golden boy, head off into the night to resume their career as costume crime fighters. <laughs> now, my main, t- my main takeaway from this story was, I don't think Mike W. Barr was worried about creator equity for the Shatterer. That was really my main takeaway. I just don't think that was a main concern to him. Um, well, I think years later, though, he's probably kicking himself when he does, he's doing Batman and the Outsiders, and he comes up with the Masters of Disaster, and he's like, oh, if only I hadn't killed the Shatterer. Uh, maybe so, yeah. Well, he could have done Shatterer too. I guess he really wanted to push things. Uh, okay, yeah, this story, I like this story. I, I, I like the artwork a little better. John Callan, I think, is kind of a better anchor for Joe Gell. He had some little details here and there. I like that. I like that the Sandy thing is finally resolved. I mean, it's so silly. It was hard to take seriously. But I did have some semblance for sympathy for poor Sandy, who was just locked in at this monstrous being. So I'm glad they fixed that. Um, I think it's really funny that, that the Earth, that the Shatterer dies in the end. And Sandy has literally one panel where he feels bad. And Sandman's like, don't worry about it, chum. And then in the very next panel, they're like, yeah, you're right. Let's just head out. <laughs> Straight up murders him. That's okay. <laughs> But what, I mean, what did you think of it? Uh, well, I've got a lot to say. So okay. if you've got more, you no, can just... No, go well, right ahead. Go right ahead. Okay, well, you talk for a while. That's true. Okay. Well, the biggest confusion for me was, as I'm reading the story, was I wasn't quite exactly clear how Skeletor fit into the whole thing. <laughs> but I, uh, <laughs> just if you don't know, you probably don't have this issue reprinted in any of your showcases, folks, because the front end of it is Superman and Masters of the Universe teaming up together. Although DC's got the license now, so who knows? Anyway, um... Okay, the lot, there's a lot to unpack here, but I'm sorry. This issue is goofy compared to the previous one, which I felt – I don't want to call it gritty, but it was a lot more down-to-earth. It was sure, just yeah, thugs, mobsters, you know? right, yeah. So everything you were sort of being critical about for it earlier, I loved it for that in comparison to this goofy meter wobbling one here. Um, maybe it's unintended goofiness, but I don't know. Also, I disagree about the art. I didn't like this inking as much as the other guy. Um I know Giella has a reputation, I don't, but regardless, like if you look at the two back-to-back, the first one has a lot more detailed backgrounds. This one, not so much. I mean there's some, but probably about half the panels of every page, no backgrounds, just color swath of color. Uh, so I, I, I wasn't real pleased with the, with the art in this one. Let's see what else. So, so Sandy, murder is kind of a his thing now because he, uh, <laughs> he killed everyone in the hospital, right? Well. Unintentionally, unintentional. but still. He did it. I mean, it's still manslaughter, right? Well, all right. That's different, though. I mean, he it, didn't know. It's different? He, in the eyes of the law, yes. Intentional murder, we have different degrees. There's first-degree murder and there's manslaughter. Sure. It's two different things. Okay. Well, it's, it's still murder last time I checked, though. Okay. Um, I do love when he collapses the museum. It's a unintentionally hysterical set of panels. They show the museum, and it's got a little slider bar. I love that. I love and the it slider from bar. Normal to Quake, and they take three panels to show you how he slides the bar over to Quake, <laughs> and the museum collapses. <laughs> it's That's insane. Great. That's great. Uh, uh, we already joked about the cure, how he got cured. What? I Okay, after all these years, it's poof, done. All right, whatever. Thanks for all those decades in imprisonment. And um, now, 
uh, it is interesting how he's left with his powers there for a moment because what happens after this is uh, Sandy, the golden boy, actually uh, ends up making lots of appearances after this issue is published, but they're all retro appearances in like All-Star Squadron, Young All-Star stuff that took place in the 40s. However, he has very few modern-day appearances after this point, meaning like from 1983 on, those types of appearances, until 1999 with JSA number one, where he follows in uh, Sandman's footsteps and becomes known as Sand. And he actually has uh, like geocentric powers where he can control sand and turn to sand and stuff like that. And he gets Wesley Dodd's Nightmares, which I don't think they've even introduced to the character this point. I think Neil Gaiman introduced that. But uh, so he becomes a major player in 99, but really doesn't appear much before then. Uh, bottom line, I just thought this was goofy. And I agree. It's nice that they liberate him from a ridiculous prison, I guess you could say, Lenwin put him in. But it this this didn't work for me, man. I'm sorry. Okay. All right. Well, that's all right. I, I do have two comments other as well. Why does Sandman knock the guard out? It is very strange, isn't it? I mean, I guess because he's figuring the guard's going to stop him from going in wherever he but, wants to go. But it being, but he he's just wandering around. I mean, and we never actually see him in the building. Like, he oh, that's knocks, true. He knocks the he, guard out, and then it's a long flashback, and then Sandman's getting back in his car. So, like, we never see why, – why did he knock the guy out? I mean, he doesn't all, all harm the, the guy. He just knocks him out with his sand gun. But why does he, why does he do that at all? For exposition? <laughs> I guess, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I mean – The guard is just simply guarding the wreckage of the hospital. Yeah. That's all he's guarding. Yeah. yeah. What, kind, what kind I, of lame-ass superhero can't sneak into a building? <laughs> Batman, can, Batman can sneak into anything. Batman can sneak into the Fortress of Solitude without Superman figuring out. Sandman can't get around a, a night guard? Come on. I mean, good. That's a little, you know. You're, po- you're poking holes in the story you I like. I know, I know. But I do say this. I love Sandman's ride. His car, his convertible. The Sandmobile? That is a slick move. I, man, I, I mean, I, there's no way Mego ever would have made this because they didn't make any Justice Society dolls, but I would have killed to have that Mego car. That is a, I love his ride, man. I think that is a great vehicle. I'm just trying to go see if he drives it in the other version. I guess there's no car in the other no, one, is there? No, okay. there isn't. No. It I is also, a nice-looking car. I also love the Shatterer when he shows up on TV. Like, I just – like, because you think about the DC Universe, like, how often people are used to supervillains showing up on their TV, threatening right. them. This is probably, like, a weekly thing. And it's, like, on some level, like, you get the sense that, you know, where the Shatterer fits on the, on the supervillain <laughs> paradigm and the fact that he shows up on TV and, like, no one takes him seriously – because like you're bluffing, we won't pay you a dime. Like like they're used to Luthor showing up right. or Brainiac, and like those guys you take seriously, or the Joker when he's like, I'm gonna poison the Gotham Reservoir. You're like, oh crap, we gotta take this guy seriously. But this bug-eyed loser, you know, like they, 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 everyone just, just is like, forget it, you know. They're like, put Happy Days back on, you know. <laughs> they're like, you're, you're not even as good as the Quake Master, buddy. Okay, just yeah, seriously, take, he's a, take a hike. He's a, he's a B grade. Quake Master. Think of the implications of that statement. So D grade, I would yeah, say. D grade, right? Yeah. And yeah. I, I love that Quake. I love. I was become Quake Master. I love that Shatterer just dies at the end by just being crushed into oh the ground. God. Like such a such a grim ending. Well, like I, I don't have a problem with the ending, but just the superhero's nonchalance. I'd be like, oh well. <laughs> we just murdered him in our lair. Yep. <laughs> Oh, and his costume is so ridiculous. It's, it, it looks like cracked. Like, it's brown colored with a bunch of little cracks in it, like cracked dirt or something like that. But then there's weird yellow gloves and accents and, like, mole man goggles and stuff. And it's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, t- I, again, I like this story just because it's so silly. And I like that it's a two-parter. I think that's a fun thing. But 
you know, the, yeah, this this goes really superhero goofy when in comparison to the other one, which was again, yeah. as you said, much more straightforward and not, again not gritty, but more of a crime story. And then this is just totally off the charts silly. Yeah. So. But. All right. Well, they were fun. There was definitely a fun exercise in doing this, and it gave me a chance to look over that He-Man issue I hadn't looked at in a million years. That was fun. Written by Paul Coverberg. <laughs> I know. You know, I looked because. Um, a lot of people don't know this. Gary Cohn wrote a lot of the Masters of the Universe mini comics. And so I was kind of thinking, oh, wouldn't that be cool if he wrote the issue? Because he was writing at the time Blue Devil and uh, Amethyst and things like that. But uh, sadly, he didn't write that. But by the way, you know, as we should mention, uh, there's a new podcast coming to what? The Pulp to Pixel Podcast Network? It's going to be based so, yes. on the uh, He Man mini comics, I think. Yeah, something like that. I'll, I'll listen to that. I wasn't. I, I had the toys, but I didn't like. I I haven't kept up with He Man. Like I, you know, it's something that I enjoyed as a kid, and then never again. But I'll listen to that show. That sounds fun. Yeah, it'd be fun. And just wait for. You know, I'm sure they'll do something with Transformers after that. You can listen to too. <laughs> I'm gonna be busy that day. Right. All right, folks. Well, we're gonna take a quick podcast promo break, and we come back. We're gonna do your feedback from the last whatever happened to episode. Ah. Uh. After a long day of criminal activity, there's nothing I like better than to sit down and listen to the old radio. Wait a minute, that's not a radio, it's... Plastic Man! Plastic Man! Plastic Man! That's right, it's the Plasticast, a brand new podcast dedicated to Plastic Man. I'm your host, Max Romero. Together, we'll be talking about Plastic Man in the Golden Age, the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, and every other age you can think of, right up to his upcoming reappearance in DC Rebirth. We'll also be talking about any Plastic Man news that might be coming up, and his appearances in every media from comics to cartoons. Whew. Makes me woozy just to think about it. I hope you'll join me to talk about the longest arm of the law, here on the Plasticast, here on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Plastic Man! I guess the podcast is getting into the public's ear. Wish I could do more to promote the DC Comics Presents show. Maybe it's time to do another promo. I'll do it right now. Interruptions, always interruptions. Hello. Yes, this is Russell Bragg. Yes, I host the DC Comics Presents show. How can I help you? Let me get this straight. You want to write a newspaper article on me and my show? Well, how can I help you? Well, let's see. The DC Comics Presents show is a podcast covering the DC Comics Presents comic book starring Superman. In it, Superman teams up with any number of characters in the DC Comics universe. I also have a few segments I've added. I do listener feedback. I have a segment called Russell's Comic Brag where I brag about a comic that I recently picked up. I do a spotlight on Superman's guest. Every once in a while, I have to do a hostess ad. And to round out the show, I go to the comic spinner rack to see what other comics were on sale. Thanks for reminding me. I guess that would be important on how people can find the show. People can go to the show's main website at www.bragaboutcomics.com. They can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. All 
right, folks, it is now time for your feedback from Fire and Water Podcast, episode 191, and that's where we covered Whatever Happened to Richard Dragon and Airwave, which featured Mrs. Airwave. <laughs> Why don't you start us off, Rob? Our first comment is from Al Girding, who simply gave us a smiley face. Aw, that always makes me. <laughs> okay. Uh, David Ace Gutierrez. Uh, he says, Rob's chimp talk is a thing of legend. Kelly of the apes. Thank you, David. And he says, great joke, fellas. I'm with Rob on Airwave 1. No idea what is so appealing about the character, but I love the design and his goofiness. Yes. And there's some stuff in here later that I think sort of sums up why I think we all love him. Anyway, uh, it goes on to say, the mystery of Richard Dragon, or whatever happened to it <laughs> in that crap story, is best left unresolved. Mike W. Barr, right? I assume the solution lies in a team with a funeral theme. <laughs> Grave robber, the mortician, casket man, and Tommy Tomb. There. Solved it. <laughs> I would totally be down for that team. I know he's joking, but I would love that. It does sound like something from Batman and the Outsiders, doesn't it? Yep, absolutely does. <laughs> then we heard from our buddy Dr. Antrim, the Supergirl blog, Comic Box Commentary, also the Legion of Superbloggers, and he writes in to say, I mostly know Richard Dragon from the time he has a zen-like sensei in the Question Baxter series, but like Shag, I occasionally see the original series in the cheap bins and will pick them up. I find that I'm a sucker for all those short-lived 70s series. First issue special, Cobra, Stalker. Hey, first issue special. Uh, anyway, he goes on to say, the first issue of Richard Dragon has a tremendous panel, which I have shared on Twitter and which proudly hangs in my office. I even sampled the early 2000s reboot by Chuck Austin and Scott McDaniel. Uh, my friend says I have a pension for reading comics about busted-down martial artists. This one is silly, especially the forced cliffhanger. He's talking about the DC Comics Presents. This one is silly, especially the forced, cliff forced cliffhanger. My answer? Uh, Ling was too corpulent for the rather small coffin they were lowering into the hole. Maybe the funeral home cremated him. The whole deal there was, at the end of the Richard Dragon story, the villain, his coffin was empty, and it's like, oh, whatever happened to... Is it Johnny Ling or whatever Barney that guy? Ling. Barney Ling. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> the cliffhanger no one asked for or cared about. Uh, Dr. H continues. He says, when Rob was pitching the GL trade and said it includes all the O'Neill Adams stories, all the O'Neill Adams socially relevant stories, and it also includes the airwave stories, I was hoping he would follow it with, which are also socially irrelevant. Uh, I should have. That's a great tag. I was actually thinking about sticking that into the um, Kingdom Come recommendation for this episode, but I didn't want to do that to Kingdom Come. So, right. uh, yeah, but I thought that we, they, they are so the airwave stories are socially irrelevant. Dr. Ange is completely right about that. Hey, those champion stories I recommended are actually socially relevant. If you read them, they deal with human trafficking. They really get into some hardcore stuff for teenagers. It's, it's really impressive. Mark Waite's so good. All right. Then we heard from our buddy Chris Franklin from the Firewater Podcast Network. He does Supermates, Nightcast. Where does he get all those wonderful toys? And he appears in all kinds of places. Chris writes, I always liked Airwave. Well, the young Hal, Hal version anyway. Since I missed this particular DCCP, I didn't know about Larry and his roller skates until Who's Who, even though I met him in my beloved All-Star Squadron number 31. But there's something inherently appealing to that design. It screams, generic superhero, like a design for a local electrical co-op used on a free kid's coloring book or something. <laughs> That's what I was getting to, folks. That is the perfect description, Chris. I swear I – like there used to be a comic book ad in the back of the magazines with some character, and I swear he had lightning bolts on his head. I think he looked like Airwave. But anyway. All right. Chris goes on to say, I think there must be an Earth-1 version of Larry as well. Kind of odd that the originator of the parallel Earth concept to DC, Julie Schwartz, didn't address this heads-on. But hey, I got in the, it got in the way in the storytelling, and Julie was all about the story. The costume does look surprisingly good on Mrs. Jordan. The cops here are all reaching 
Chief O'Hara levels of incompetence by not noticing the obvious. You know, following up on that real quick, you know, you mentioned the they don't talk about the Earth 1, Earth 2 stuff. And you notice with the Sandman stories we did today, no mention of Earth 2 whatsoever. It's just a story. Well, they, they assumed you knew by that point, you know, that this was Earth 2. It was the Earth well, 2 Joe Golden Age Sandman. It's not important, though. No, not important. Uh, Chris concludes with a fun episode, as always. Don't worry about where these shows go. You guys were off the Aquastorm reservation a lot in the pre-network days. <laughs> Six of one, half a dozen of the other, which is totally true. We had a lot more fun before we invited the guys in, and now they really ride us. And so, you know, it's, we're, we're not as uh, free to do what we want as we used to. To be perfectly clear, Rob said that, not me, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, then we heard from our buddy Sphinx Magoo. He says, I'm kind of, oh, I, I, this is to my eternal shame here, guys. Okay. I'm kind of surprised Shag didn't mention the Firestorm connection in this episode. What Firestorm connection, you may ask? During the John Ostender era Firestorm stories, Airwave took on the moniker of Mazer and changed his look. Thankfully, that phase didn't last. His Mazer identity was horribly generic, which might have been the point. Wow. Uh, well, you know, I'll read the other comments follow up here real quick, and then I'll talk about that. Mark Baker Wright from Black Rock's Toy Box wrote, It's not generic. At least uh, it's explicitly corporate. That said, I, with that, I messed all that up, folks. That said, and without regard to the merit of Mazer's identity, I'm surprised Shag didn't make the obvious Firestorm reference that any appearance by Airwave warranted. This is a Firestorm and Aquaman podcast after all. And uh, then Siskoid said, same here. There's no way Shag didn't realize. I'm smell editing shenanigans. I don't really. Yeah, because Rob doesn't edit anything. In fact, you'll hear me flub that mo- what I just said a second ago. That he, Rob's going to leave that in. I'm keeping all the mistakes in so you all know what I have to deal with. <laughs> so, yes, uh, I was horribly remiss. It did go through my head that Airwave was part of the Firestorm story when I was reading it. When it came time to write my notes, I didn't put it in there. So just so you know, during the Elemental Era Firestorm, basically what happens is they hire the Airwave kid to be a corporate superhero, part of the Captains of Industry. And they come, they bring a whole branding team. It's quite funny, actually. They bring a whole branding team in. They rebrand him. They give him a costume that's designed by a focus group and all this stuff. And they call him Mazer. And uh, it's basically the same character, but he's just used, you know, got a corporate image to be the head of, like, I think the Sutherland Corporation from the Swamp, old Alan Moore Swamp Thing comics. But, uh, yeah, I should have totally mentioned that. I'm embarrassed. I hang my head in shame when Rob reads the next comment. I, I am, I didn't know any of that. And, like, just the idea that someone would take a character with a great distinctive name like Airwave and turn it into Mazer. Like, I know that from what you're telling me, the description, it's supposed to be kind of lame and yes. cheesy. But uh, that just makes me sad <laughs> just to hear it, that he would change his name to Mazer because I think Airwave is a great name, too, for a superhero. But anyway. Well, it was it was more – well, first of all, Mazer was kind of a, a word that was coming about in the, in the well, late that, 80s. That's late, what I mean. Mazer. It's like yeah. you're taking something classic and making it so of the moment that yes. the minute you move out of that time, you're like, oh, my God. Yep. Like, you well, know, it was – it was commentary on the way corporations were run. Right. It was John Ostringer trying to take the Mickey right. out of uh, corporations. Purposely lame. I get. It. I yeah. I yeah. totally understand. But it's just. It's still. I think Airwave again. Airwave. Great name for superhero. Right. Yep. So uh, next comment is from Derek Crab, who does fan holes and the awesome history of comics on film YouTube series. I've been plugging that on re- recent shows. Go watch it on YouTube. Those are super super fun. Uh, he writes in. He says Richard Dragon came to my attention mainly due to the Wizard World superhero showdown message boards way back in the early two thousands. His main claim to fame for me was that during the era of the unbeatable Bat God is that he was the best non-powered fighter in the DCU. If Shang-Chi is the Bruce Lee of the Marvel Universe, then Richard Dragon is the Chuck Norris of the DC Universe. Anyone who has read any Batman or Birds of Prey has heard of Lady Shiva. Batman couldn't beat Lady Shiva on his own. 
Batman had lost hand-to-hand battles with Bronze Tiger. Uh, that's really interesting because yeah, nowadays the Batman doesn't lose to anybody. So that's right. interesting that he was that he would be defeated by like Bronze Tiger. Like that's kind of amazing. But that shows you how differently Batman is written now than the way he used to be. Well, we should have saw these comments from Derek coming. Uh, you may not remember, but we talked about Richard Dragon on a Who's Who entry uh, a billion years ago. And we sort of made fun of him. And Derek did not take well to that. <laughs> he did, Derek's famous for taking action figures and posing them and doing great little comics. And he did one where Richard Dragon was like putting his foot into Firestorm's face, I think, or something like that. And he's basically kicking the crap out of Firestorm and Aquaman. And so we should and, – and here, I don't know if you noticed, there's a link above uh, his comment. And the picture is actually Richard Dragon having both Firestorm and Aquaman. He did this with action figures. Uh, Richard Dragon has both Firestorm and Aquaman in headlocks, like one under each arm. He's got their heads. <laughs> So uh, now we know where not to cross the line with Derek. We're terribly sorry. Now, now that we've met Derek, it gives it a whole new, <laughs> just a whole new sense of reality. Once you've met the guy who makes these crazy little fumettis. Well, I wish Richard Dragon was wearing that Transformers jacket that Derek has because that would have been awesome. Oh, it's such a chick magnet. I'm sure. I, you know, it's funny. He probably thinks we're being mean about it, but no, I genuinely no, I love that jacket. <laughs> I'm com- I would. Com- I am not. Yeah, there is no sarcasm intended. Uh, but when I talk about that Transformers jacket that he has, none at all. Yep. All right. Then we heard from our buddy Diablo Frank, who we actually hung out with recently. Actually, we hung out with a lot of these people, by the way, recently. Don't we haven't we haven't name checked all of them, but all of them we hung out with recently. Uh, Diablo. I'm oh, sorry. What? Still don't believe it. <laughs> it really was Diablo Frank. I promise you. So anyway, Diablo how do you know Frank. Because I have met him. I have sat in his home. Yeah. I, how do you know that was the real Diablo Frank? Do you not recognize the voice? That can be done with some with moist modulators and all sorts. Of, we have all kinds of crazy technology nowadays. Come on, I, I, you're, did you hear the words shag. coming out of his mouth the more he drank? It was you, clearly him. Your naivete is very troubling and also very cute. But go right ahead. <laughs> so we heard from Diablo Frank, who we may or may not have hung out with at, at Heroes Con. Uh, he's from the Roll Spine Podcast Network. He does lots of shows there, like the Marvel Superheroes Podcast. He does numerous blogs, including. DC Bloodlines, which will come into play in a second here. He says, going back to the DC Bloodlines blog, I always wanted to do more coverage of the Kung Fu Fighters than the three issues I stalled at years ago. The plan was to do three episodes broken up across seasons. And then he goes, uh, folks who are intrigued to hear you guys uh, slag on the Mike W. Barr story with Richard Dragon can look forward to my slagging on the original Denny O'Neill stories. <laughs> so watch for that on the DC Bloodlines podcast, guys. Then he goes on to say, I have a weird, not really nostalgia for Airwave because he is in the DC Comics Presents I bought as a kid, in spite of him rather than because. Terrible costume. And then there's the removable mustache. I think I was sold on the two-page spread of Superman being crushed in a fake-out, or more likely because it was on my it was my first Parasite sighting, and I thought he looked cool. What I got in, what I got was Airwave roller skating on power lines and an evil super-powered train conductor. The comic was the birthplace of my disdain for Saviak. And speaking of whom, isn't it his fault that when he read the script, all he got was girl Airwave? Mm. Wow, he just said a whole bunch of mean things and uh, things I don't agree with. I mean, bagging on Airways costume, bagging on female Airwave. Come on, Frank. It's, this is the wrong place to hate on that story. A comment from Frank where it's a bunch of mean things? I can't believe it. I know. I know. Crazy. So then we heard from our buddy Ryan Daly from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. He does shows like Nightcast, Midnight the Podcasting Hour, Power Fishnets, Give Me Those Star Wars, and is currently the man crying in the corner, overwhelmed with the responsibility of raising an infant. I am confident uh, in saying Ryan is not sleeping right now. And, <laughs> oh and, th- and that comment works for whenever you're listening to this. 
That's true. Like, I'm envisioning it, him and Angie, you know, because uh, going home from the hospital, and they're like, because I've been through this myself, because they kick you out pretty quick. And it's like, here's the baby. You guys go home now. No more nurses, no more doctors, no one else to help you. You are solely responsible for the continued survival of this little small thing. It's like, what? No, really, I'm not ready yet. <laughs> they don't care. Your parents now. So, woof. Anyway, uh, Ryan wrote, back when he was not a, a father, he said, I always wanted to read Richard Dragon Kung Fu Fighter because Bronze Tiger is a favorite character of mine. But after doing a little research, I found out that Ben Turner didn't don the Bronze Tiger costume until one of his last appearances in Richard Dragon Kung Fu Fighter. It's not the very last issue. Uh, if not the very last issue. Kind of killed the excitement for it. That's too bad. He says, as for Airwave, I have virtually no familiarity with this character, but if Al Girding likes him, he's probably not my jam. <laughs> And then Al Gerding responded, I'm not crazy. My mom had me tested. <laughs> <laughs> Al cracks me up. He's another, you know, he's another one I hung out with who's just super nice. Did I ever tell you? I don't know if I've ever said this on the air. And if I haven't, I've been horribly remiss. He bought me a huge, and I, dude, like I can't describe to you how big this is, a huge Firestorm poster. It is so cool. It's a Yildare Sonar drawing of Firestorm from the New 52. It takes up like half my wall. It is awesome. So I love Al. He's a great guy. Hopefully we can get him to come to our next gathering. There are from our buddy Siskoid from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Dude, I, I, as I wrote out everything Siskoid's doing, he has, like, way too much time on his hands. He's doing the new Fire and Water uh, team-up podcast. He's got the Kung Fu Friday podcast, First Strike Invasion podcast, Lonely Hearts Romance Comics Theater podcast, Oh Hot Move or Not podcast, Give Me That Star Trek podcast, and he's also got Siskoid Blog of Geekery, and he's part of the Legion of Super Bloggers. Whew! I'm worn out just from saying that. Uh, he goes, my love of Golden Age Heroes means I liked Airwave. I uh, Airwave 1, sorry, straight out of Who's Who as well. Skating on telephone wires? Love it! He's a lot more interesting than a lot of the generic fist-fighting mystery men of the era. Radio, so cutting edge. I guess today he'd be called Wi-Fi. <laughs> Perhaps amazing. Then we heard from Sphinx Magoo. He followed up. He says, I read one of the original stories when I was, uh, and I was really charmed over the telephone power line stunt. It's a way of getting around that works for some cities, suburbs, and out of the country. Maybe more effective than web slinging. <laughs> you know, when I was in uh, Seattle, they had like a, a, a car that, you know, one of those trolleys that go around downtown. Mm -hmm. And there were wires everywhere. And it would have been like Airways' dream city to live in. Cool. Well, it's, although it rains a lot. It would have been very slippery. Electricity, water. Well, it might, yeah, might not go well. Uh, Martin Martin Gray from Too Dangerous from a Girl for a Girl blog says, I love these episodes. Keep them in the feed. Okay, so meanwhile, another 16 issues of Aquaman are waiting to be dissected. <laughs> I think we're up to like 25 issues of Aquaman by the time we got to run to this one. But yeah, Martin Martin's criticism is is well-founded. Yes, it's completely fair. <laughs> he says, I liked Airwave 2 as Mazer. For, uh, for one thing, he was better looking. It always seemed to me that it was a play on Marvel's Quasar. Well, blonde with a headband, similar sounding name. I guess Dr. Moon has a type. I have no idea what that means, but okay. Uh, <laughs> and he follows up with, if Mike Tiefenbacher ever does realize Rob is alive, get him on the show to reveal the all, get, reveal the all behind this wiki tidbit. Quote, Writer Mike Tiefenbacher had several proposals for other Whatever Happened To stories. These included Captain Action, Blackhawk, Genius Jones, Nighthawk, Ragman, The Sea Devils, The Silent Knight, and Wildcat. That, that little factoid that he saw on the wiki page really makes me sad because of the list that he has there. I want to read virtually all those stories. Yes. Uh, yes. I mean, Captain Action I knew what he could never do because DC didn't own it anymore. But – 
Uh, I mean, Black and Blackhawk they wouldn't have done because they knew Blackhawk was going to get his own series. But for the rest of those characters, I totally would want to read about all those. So those were all good choices. I mean, Ragman, uh, Sea Devils, Wildcats, Silent Night. I'd have killed for all of those. I have no idea who Genius Jones is. Oh, wait. Oh, Genius Jones. He had a Who's Who entry. I remember him now. Yeah. I think he did. No, I don't think he did. I don't think Genius huh. Jones did. But Nighthawk was another one of their Western characters. That yeah. would have been really cool. So, yeah. I, been... Those are all interesting choices. And Wildcat. Everybody always loves Wildcat. So. Yeah. That would have been phenomenal. Oh, well. We will uh, see what we can find out. How's that? <laughs> I will try and see if I can get Mike Tiefenbach and recognize that I am alive next time. There it is. All right. Perfect. Well, that's going to do it for your feedback. Thank you guys so much. Please, please go out to our website and give us comments on these two Sandman and Sandy the Golden Boy stories. Rob, why don't you tell them where they can find uh, the, the posts for this? That is at fireandwaterpodcast.com. That is correct. Out there you'll find the post for this episode, like the MP3 file, but then you'll also find a gallery post where I'm going to post some of the images from this issue, uh, so, or these two issues, so that should be lots of fun too. <sighs> well, uh, until next time, folks, I guess you can find Rob on the interwebs. Just go to Twitter, pick any random handle. That'll be him. Uh, you can find me at Firestorm Fan on both Facebook and Twitter under that. More importantly, you can find us as the Fire and Water Podcast Network, both on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, Anything- before, right. Well, before we say goodbye, though, we do have to talk about episode 200. Oh, yeah. And we do want to mention we are now, of course, only two episodes away from episode 200. And while we're not two weeks away from episode 200, uh, we are closing in. And we have gotten a lot of comments. We've gotten a lot of questions for our AMA episode. But we want more. We want as many as possible to sort of perm from so we can throw out all the ones that we don't want to answer. So please, if you want to get your questions in, please use the contact form on our website, which is, again, fireandwaterpodcast.com. Get your questions in. Don't wait any longer. Please get them in. Because we wanted to, we want to involve as many people as possible. So, uh, like I said, uh, we're not. Like I said it'll be more than two weeks uh, between now and episode 200, but we will get to it soon. So please get your questions in. Use the contact form. You don't have to necessarily put episode 200 in the subject line because we can. We'll figure it out. But that would be great too, just so we know what uh, what to look for. So please get your questions in for episode 200. And if you're like me and you live in a cave, AMA means ask me anything, by the way. And it should uh, be did... AUA, really, because it's ask us anything. Well, Rob had to explain it to me. So, yes, that we, be, given that this network was built upon basically the comment sections of the episodes, we want to involve you guys as much as possible. Absolutely yeah. do. Yep. Y'all are the best. And I would much, much rather spend time uh, communicating with you guys than Rob, quite frankly. So, please. That's true. That's absolutely I need true. more. I need more questions. My ego needs them. They demand them. All right, folks, I guess that's going to do it. So until next time, fan the flame and ride the wave. Mr. Sandman, bring me a dream. Make him the cutest that I've ever seen. Give him two lips like roses and clover. Then tell him that his lonesome nights are over. Please turn on your magic beam Mr. Sandman, bring me a dream Mr. Sandman, bring me a dream Make him the cutest that I've ever seen Give him the word that I'm Tell him that his lonesome nights are over, Sandman.